Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. One of the most surprising stories that happened this week was that concerning actor Jesse Smollett. All charges were dropped and his record was wiped clean. He was originally charged with disorderly conduct for filing a false police report about being the victim of an alleged hate crime. The story is not over yet, though. Prosecutors who dropped the charges still say that they didn't exonerate him and they all believe that he actually still did it. So it's so confusing. We spoke to Amir Madhani, reporter for USA Today, about why prosecutors made this decision. The prosecutor's office is basically saying that they've come to the decision that it was easier and more appropriate to come to terms with taking bond money from Smollett that was forfeited and dropping charges, that his record is relatively clean. And they're basically saying it's not worth pursuing a charge of this nature, but he's giving up about $10,000 in bond. It was 10% of the $100,000 bond that he had to post. As the police and Mayor Emanuel have said, that's nothing for the amount of resources that was put into this case. Further perplexing is that police superintendent Eddie Johnson says he was given no forewarning that this was coming and detectives were given no forewarning this was coming. The way I found out about it is I was sitting at my computer around 925 and I get an email from Smollett legal team saying we have an emergency court hearing and Smollett and his attorneys are going to be speaking afterwards. So I rushed to the courthouse. My initial thinking was maybe he has something that he wants to go out of the country for right. and he's trying to get special permission or something of that nature. This was really unexpected. So the thought is, is that since he's a first time offender with a lot of this stuff, he would basically only get community service and he has already done a lot of stuff for the community before. So they're just going to kind of call it even and let him go. The assistant state's attorney, Joe Magatz, who was uh, made the decision to drop the charges at the end of it said that, you know, he didn't find any problems with the investigation, but they're not necessarily exonerating him. They just don't see he's a threat to public safety. So this is the easy way to go. But the judge signed a motion to seal the case and wipe his record clean. So it is like he's getting off on this. It's unusual. I know that you might be a little bit more of a celebrity than I am in the radio business. But if this happened to me, I don't think I'd be treated in such a manner. And that's what's atypical about this situation. As the police department's noting, it's not too often that innocent people forgo their their bond money. It's not typical for a situation to go away in this manner, especially a case that was so high profile. And the importance of why prosecuting this case is because you want hate crime victims to come forward when something happens. And this is questionable. And they're saying they're not exonerating him. But at the same time, Smollett is saying, I was on the level at every single point in this case. So there's no admission of culpability beyond saying, yeah, I'll give you my $10,000. And to make this go away. And his attorney, Patricia Brown Holmes, said this was not part of a plea deal or anything like that. Just trying to make it more clear that he is off on these charges. So it's not like, hey, 
we just cut a deal. He's admitting guilt. This is the very murky territory right there. And I just have to ask, what about all of the stuff that happened during the investigation? There's video of these two brothers who even Patricia Brown Holmes admitted that they beat him up, that they beat up Jesse Smollett. She said it in her statement today. Who knows? Are they going to be charged with anything now? They testified to the grand jury. They have video of them buying the materials for this. What do we do with all this evidence? I think nothing is the the short answer. This doesn't go any further than what we've seen. And, you know, they were forthcoming with their testimony and went from being suspects to people of interest to witnesses by providing police with that testimony. And police say they believe that testimony. The other weird part of this, beyond not giving the heads up to police that they were, the prosecutors were dropping this case, is you usually give the courtesy when you're prosecuting a case and you drop it to witnesses of the crime. No witnesses were notified that the prosecutors were going forward with this. The transparency was a little weird. I found out because Smollett's team wanted to make sure reporters were there to hear him proclaim his innocence afterwards. Rahm Emanuel said that this is a whitewash of justice and said that there was a problem from top to bottom, that this is not on the level. Early on in this, the state's attorney, Kim Fox, recused herself from the case. Did we ever find out why she recused herself? Yes. We did. She had some conversations with a family member who's never identified of uh, Smollett, who wanted the FBI to take over investigation of the case and was pressing that and asked her if she could intervene. And another person who started that conversation was Tina Chen, who's a uh, prominent Chicago attorney, but is probably more familiar to your audiences. She was the chief of staff during the Obama administration years to the first lady, Michelle Obama. Wow. So, and so because of that, just those connections, she decided to recuse herself. Because of those conversations, yeah. yeah. And she had right. gone forward and she had asked Eddie Johnson, you know, the family has concerns. They think that the FBI should be handling this case. Yeah. In one sense, this is all over because the charges were dropped, but the FBI is still looking into that threatening letter that was right. sent to Jesse Smollett, which police also think he sent to himself. It's in the realm of possibility that something can come from the FBI on this. But in the big picture, the FBI has bigger fish to fry. Right. And I guess it's bothered a lot of people, whether you agree with whether Smollett's are innocent or guilty. If you live in the city and the number of homicides and unsolved shooting, non-fatal shootings that happen each year and they're happening now, even as violence has creeped down a little bit, this was also a case that didn't deserve the amount of attention and resources that police gave it, considering all else that's going on in the city. That is the theme. The state's attorney said that they don't see Jesse Smollett as a threat to public safety, and that's one of the reasons there on why the charges were dropped. Amir Madhani, reporter for USA Today, based in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. All right. Have a good one. The CBD boom is here, and it's giving the FDA headaches. They're having a hard time keeping up with how to regulate this. CBD is a marijuana hemp extract that doesn't give you the high of THC, but gives you a lot of other benefits. People say that uh, it cures headaches and helps you go to sleep. We spoke to Sarah Overmall, healthcare reporter at Politico, for how the FDA plans to handle regulating CBD. The FDA surprised a lot of people. Basically, Congress intended to legalize hemp and with that CBD in a sweeping bill passed in December called the Farm Bill. But the minute that they sent that out, FDA reminded everyone that technically this was their 
field. It was their turf. And what is interesting about that is that the FDA said that they could regulate it on the grounds that they had already approved a drug that has CBD in it. And so that actually is a legal framework for them, that there can't be a product on the market that is already in a pharmaceutical product. So they are allowed to say to everybody who manufactures something that you take orally with CBD in it, that they all have to take their products off the market right now. So it's left the CBD manufacturers and retailers in this complete legal limbo where they don't know if they actually are allowed to openly be selling. The FDA last year approved their CBD-based drug called Epidiolex. It's a treatment for a form of epilepsy. But you're right, these CBD things come in so many forms. It can be something you rub on your hands. It can be like a little tincture that you just spray in your mouth. Shampoos, ointments, drops, it's all over the place in different forms. For them to have to regulate it as they would uh, if it was a drug, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles to go through for it to get approved that way. Absolutely. And that's really not actually what I think the FDA wants to do. It certainly isn't what Congress or the industry wants them to do. I think the FDA really just meant this as a warning shot. They were trying to say, look, don't be dumb. Don't manufacture and sell things with these crazy claims on them about what CBD can do. And just give us some time to work out a framework that you can put this through that won't mean a lengthy drug approval process, but would mean maybe you get to sell a low-dose form as a dietary supplement or, you know, it can still go in lattes. But let us work this out. And in the meantime, please just don't misbehave. (laughs) And that's really what is at the center of this is the claims that are being made. By and large, CBD is not necessarily harmful to people, although there's not very many studies done on the product itself yet. But I don't think it's necessarily harmful, but it's about the claims that people make when they're making these new products, like it's going to cure your diabetes or it's great for cancer. So these are the claims that they're really trying to get under control and make sure that makers of these products aren't going crazy with that stuff. Definitely. And a lot of the makers of these products, at least the ones that I've spoken to, are very aware of that. And they're trying really hard to be on the good side of the FDA and say, we get you, we're being smart about this, but it really only takes a few bad apples for the FDA to crack down as they have in other industries in the past. And I think on top of that, the FDA and everyone does recognize that CBD by itself is a low risk product. There's not really many ways that you can hurt yourself if you're, if you're using it in moderation and you're not using it, say, to cure your cancer, which is, there is no medical proof of. <laughs> right. But the other two main concerns that they have, besides the medical claims, the other urgent one for them is that people aren't manufacturing and selling something that they say is CBD, but has no such thing in it. And then the other, which is a more big picture concern of theirs, is that they want to protect the incentive for pharmaceutical companies to still keep researching it because they realize that it is a multi-million dollar years-long process to study how drugs work, and no one but pharmaceutical companies is really going to want to do that. And so if they just allow everyone to run free on the market, they worry that we will never get these answers on what CBD can do. Enforcement on this right now is just so tough. You mentioned in your article a couple things about if you go on Amazon and you put CBD, there's hemp oil even, there's thousands of listings there. If you Google CBD for cancer, there's a bunch of ads for oils. The marketing is already out there and it's being made to be this cure-all. So you can have a product basically tailored to any ailment that you choose. Yeah. And one of my favorite places to check this out is actually on a Reddit community for CBD where they're having this conversation right now too. People will put these claims on there and and they'll argue amongst themselves about it. It really is an interesting dilemma because it's not just about what the FDA can do, which would be to crack down on a specific manufacturer. This is about what the internet is saying and who's going to tell people on the internet to police the claims that they're making. I mean, that is something that across the board we're trying to figure out for a whole range of issues right now, let alone CBD. 
So what's the future of this? Because the FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, is on his way out. He's not really going to handle this part of it. So it's going to be left up to his successor. Congress has certainly put a lot of pressure on the FDA, and they're very well aware that after Gottlieb leaves, who he has really been trying to moderate this, trying to assure Congress that this matters to him and the FDA and it's going to be a priority. They're worried that someone else behind him won't make that a priority. So I think what is going to happen is that Congress will continue to up the pressure and say, we really need clarity right now. We have constituents, farmers, manufacturers in our states that don't know what to do. We need you to give them clarity about what is legal in their business. And already I've talked to a few lawmakers that are definitely willing to put the pressure on and just say, at least to the FDA, tell us what you need from us to speed this process up. Because by themselves, the FDA has already said that it would take them at least two years. Sarah Overmall, healthcare reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. You've all heard about the placebo effect, but what about its evil twin, the nocebo effect? It's when a person experiences negative symptoms from an inert pill or treatment. We spoke to Shayla Love. She's a science writer at Vice to discuss how it all works. As much as I've always loved the placebo effect and loved to learn about it, I felt like it was sort of inaccessible to me. That said, the nocebo effect, which is when you feel bad from nothing, I've always felt like is completely accessible to me at any moment in time. <laughs> um, so ever since I was little, if you had a doctor who said, be careful of these side effects, I would immediately start to feel them right away. Just like the thought of food poisoning can give me a stomach ache. And so I felt like the nocebo effect was something that I could really easily tap into. And if it was placebo effects twin or evil twin, how could I access one and not the other? So that led me into wondering why was I susceptible to one and not the other and what's really going on and what's the mechanisms of these effects? Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that way too. It's that whole notion of you're talking about somebody being sick or nauseous and then you're like, oh man, I'm starting to feel something in my stomach too. I think you even noted in your article, a lot of people even suspect some of this stuff that was happening in Cuba to some of the diplomats and they were hearing weird buzzing noises and then they started getting all of these physical symptoms because of it. Some people have even played it up to it being part of the nocebo effect. Maybe not anything malicious that anybody was doing. It might have just been this. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And on the other side, the placebo effect, you talk about how you feel it might be inaccessible to you. Let's say people that have an affinity for crystals and you, you know they say, I get my rose quartz and then I'm starting to feel a lot better, a lot more calm and things like that. And some people just think it's BS because maybe they can't access that kind of placebo effect from themselves. So I think it's very relatable, these two notions. Yeah, crystals are a great example because I have lots of friends who love their crystals and I think crystals are very pretty. But I've gone out and had people say, this one's really going to make you feel really good and make you feel awake. And I've taken these things home and just kind of waited and like crickets. You know, like nothing's happening. <laughs> right. And this was part of why I got so curious about this. Like, why do some people just have this main line to the placebo effect that I didn't seem to have? And so what have you learned through your research? Because they use placebos on a lot of clinical trials and studying other medicines. So put together some of the dots for us on this. I guess the first thing to say is that the placebo and the nocebo effect are real effects. It's not just in somebody's mind. Both of them can cause real physiological changes. Because of that, for a long time, we've actually tried to get rid of the placebo effect when we study medicine in clinical trials. Because how can you be sure if a medicine is working if the placebo effect can be so pronounced? 
So we have placebo-controlled trials so that we can give somebody something that's inactive and see if the person who gets the active medication is actually doing better than the placebo person. And only if the person who gets the medication does better than placebo do we determine that that's a, a good medication. But scientists now are starting to rethink that a little bit. And they're saying if the placebo effect is so powerful, maybe we shouldn't get rid of it. Then maybe we should try to use it to our advantage, right? Like if this is something that can really help us. And, and likewise, if the placebo is really making people worse, we should try to understand that. When you go to the doctor, if they tell you that something is going to hurt, if people expect that something is going to hurt, it can actually amplify the pain that people feel. So that's important. We need to understand how these effects work if we're going to understand where they're coming into play in, in a medical context. So what I discovered after learning that these effects are very real is that they're probably not exactly like twins. Rather than nocebo being the evil twin, it's more like the grumpy cousin or something. It's, <laughs> the mechanisms are slightly different. So the nocebo effect has a lot more to do with anxiety than the placebo effect does. And there's some evidence that in the brain, there's some slightly different pathways that they take. So we can't really think of them as identical forces. So it would make sense that somebody like me could be really susceptible to the placebo effect, but not to the placebo effect. Yeah, and it makes sense, this notion of anxiety. It's like the first thing I thought of is when kids are getting shots and they start crying because it hurts, yet you know, they haven't been pricked yet. This anxiety, it amplifies the pain. So you're feeling these experiences before they even happen. So that totally makes sense. And on the other side, you talk about how the placebo a lot of times is a result of learned experiences. If I've had a great experience with my doctor before they've helped me out or the medication I've been taking really helped out, then if I'm telling you, hey, this is also going to work, then you might get a placebo effect out of that. Part of what they're trying to do and learning more about this is kind of pairing active drugs with placebos and maybe give you a drug for a little bit that is working, then wean you off, give you a placebo, then switch back and forth. That way you get that extra benefit of it. Context matters. When you give somebody a placebo pill, the pill doesn't doesn't really matter. Like we, we associate a placebo with a physical pill, but it really could be anything. What matters more is your beliefs, your history with medicine, your history with pain, your history with doctors. And so for me, I learned a lot really about myself. I grew up in a family of scientists. Everybody's really medically oriented. And so if something started to go wrong in the body, immediately people could start offering to you, here are all the things that might be wrong with you. And it's kind of an anxious, fraught setting almost immediately. So it makes sense that I would be somebody who would be prone to, once I started feeling something or heard a suggestion, that that's immediately where my mind would go and sort of bring about the nocebo effect. You were conditioned to it as a kid before you even knew it, really. Exactly. Yeah. So the researchers that I talked to said that even if I'm prone to the nocebo effect because of my experiences and the context in which I was raised, anybody's body and brain can learn to accept and express the placebo effect. So you mentioned a great example, which is mixing in a placebo pill alongside an active drug. So for pain, this is really promising because you could give somebody a painkiller for two days and then give them a placebo on the third day. And you don't even have to lie. You can tell them that that's what you're doing. Right. There's no deception involved. But their body will kind of be conditioned to the response. So when you take that placebo pill at the same time that you took the active pills, it still provides the same effect. And suddenly you're taking less of a medication, which is always the goal is not to be taking things. And with the opioid crisis, if you could take placebos for pain instead of an opioid for pain, that would be a, a great outcome for a lot. People. I suggest everybody go out and read it. The Power of the Nocebo Effect. Thank you very much. Shayla Love, science writer at Vice. Thanks so much. 
All right, that's it for us this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.